coming up in this episode. I woke up Sunday morning at 5 a.m. expecting to get on an airplane to go to Beijing. Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson was all set to go, and about two dozen people were waiting for him at the airport. But the situation at Orlando's Pulse nightclub changed everything. By 8 a.m., I had canceled that trip because I realized that my place was here in the homeland after the attack in Orlando. Johnson sat down for an exclusive interview to talk about the attack, a new terror bulletin, and the homeland security challenges that lay ahead as U.S. intelligence scrambled to understand what happened and come to grips with what it means for the future. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. A very graphic situation. San Bernardino. Upwards of 14 people that are dead. We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They I'm want back. you to imagine them in the shadows as something greater than they are. Hostile nation states. They can't inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. This is Target USA. America in the crosshairs. Whether it's anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorists, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. Oh my God, they're all shooting back and forth. A shooting at an Orlando nightclub. Police confirm several people have been wounded. The extent of injuries not clear yet. CBS News at 5 a.m. Sunday, June 12th, three hours after the shooting started. We just heard shots nonstop firing for, I guess it was less than a minute. It just but by midday, it was a whole different story. CBS News, I'm Jim Taylor. The worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Initial reports of 20 dead. Now Mayor Buddy Dyer confirming 50 people killed in an Orlando, Florida nightclub. It is with great sadness that I share we have not 20 but 50 casualties in addition to the shooter. By nightfall, the entire nation was in shock and searching for answers turned inside out by the violence perpetrated by an off-duty security guard with a Sig Sauer MCX, an assault-style weapon that mowed down more than 100 people. Authorities knew almost immediately this was a volatile situation. He made 911 calls from the club during the attack at about 2.30 in the morning, Sunday morning. And there were three different calls. He called and he hung up. He called again and spoke briefly with the dispatcher. And then he hung up. And then the dispatcher called him back again, and they spoke briefly. So there were three total calls. Not only was the American public scrambling, but so were top intelligence and homeland security officials. I woke up Sunday morning at 5 a.m. expecting to get on an airplane to go to Beijing. I, by 8 o'clock, by 8 a.m., I had canceled that trip because I realized that my place was here in the homeland after the attack in Orlando. And I did have contact with my Chinese counterparts by phone. The attorney general was there. She was able to participate in person before she turned around and came back. And we sent 
part of my DHS team on to conduct the dialogue. And they're, they're DHS back. Secretary Jay Johnson after a whirlwind week of emergency meetings. He sat down with us to pull back the veil on some of the many developments that took place in the aftermath of the Orlando shooting and to look ahead at what happens next. First of all, um, Homeland Security is the president's number one priority. So the president is very focused on, on, on this. There is, of course, the law enforcement effort, uh, the law enforcement investigative effort, the forensic effort at the club right now to um, understand completely what happened in those few hours inside that club. There is the continued evaluation of our security posture. There is a lot of information that gets passed to state and local law enforcement in the immediate hours after the attack. We share with state and local law enforcement what we see, what we know, so that state and local law enforcement, state and local governments can make the appropriate judgments about the security posture that they feel they need to be in. We also, and we're doing much more of this now in this environment, we also share a lot of information with organizations that represent the private sector, like professional sports, collegiate sports, uh, businesses, hotels, malls. We're aggressively pushing information out to these organizations to share with them what we see, what we know, so that they can develop their own security postures at public events, public places. And we continually evaluate our aviation security posture, our border security posture, our maritime security posture, uh, and so forth. And so in the immediate aftermath of something like this, I'm always prodding our people, let's think aggressively, and <clears throat> let's not just prepare for the last attack, let's think about what the next attack might look like. And so we're in a general environment where we have to be concerned about potential attacks by homegrown violent extremists on public places and public events. That was true when I issued the first NTAS bulletin in December, and that unfortunately remains true now. And this requires an aggressive whole-of-government effort which we have and we will continue to undertake. I know that you have crisscrossed the country, going to various communities, talking regarding the homegrown violent extremism problem and trying to mobilize these communities against it and educate them. Groups like the Islamic State, groups like Al-Qaeda, other terror groups are still trying to reach into this country, it seems, and other places using social media. Assess the threat for us. I think that our efforts at outreach to various communities across this country are making a difference. I know that because I get pushback from a lot of communities who say, well, <clears throat> you're, you're encouraging us to be informants, you're, you're encouraging us to snitch, which is not at all what we're trying to do. We're simply offering our help and encouraging those who live in this country that it's their homeland to help us help you. And I, I know people hear that message. I've seen it. But while Johnson and other members of the U.S. government are out campaigning against the Islamic State, the Islamic State is running its own campaign.
In despite a two-year U.S.-led military coalition campaign against the Islamic State group, it's still just as effective at launching attacks. CIA Director John Brennan came here to Capitol Hill to spell it out for the Senate Intelligence Committee. We judge that ISIL is training and attempting to deploy operatives for further attacks. ISIL has a large cadre of Western fighters who could potentially serve as operatives for attacks in the West. And the group is probably exploring a variety of means for infiltrating operatives into the West, including in refugee flows, smuggling routes, and legitimate methods of travel. Furthermore, as we have seen in Orlando, San Bernardino, and elsewhere, ISIL is attempting to inspire attacks by sympathizers who have no direct links to the group. Back at DHS headquarters at the Nebraska Avenue complex after the Brennan hearing on Capitol Hill, we talked with Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson about steps being taken to prevent attacks here in the homeland. The department issued its second ever National Terrorism Advisory System (NTAS) bulletin on the 15th of June. I wonder if you would assess the posture of this particular bulletin. We're in a new phase in the global terrorist threat where we have to be concerned about terrorist-directed attacks from overseas as well as what we refer to here in Washington as terrorist-inspired attacks by homegrown violent extremists. That presents an environment in which we need to bring about a whole-of-government approach. Militarily, we continue to take the fight to the Islamic State, to al-Qaeda, other organizations overseas through airstrikes, through support of various ground forces in places like Iraq and Syria. We've done a good job of taking out a number of the leaders of the Islamic State, as well as those focused on external attacks, external attack planning overseas. Here in the homeland, the FBI continues to do an aggressive job of investigating, interdicting, preventing terrorist plots to the homeland. We continue to have uh, our aviation security apparatus. Uh, There is still a threat to aviation security worldwide, which we have to be concerned about. We have to be concerned about extremists trying to do things on airplanes, which is why there is a continued aviation security effort that Americans see at airports. Here at home, in this environment, where we have to be concerned about the lone wolf actor, uh, the home-born or homegrown violent extremist, we've got to, there's a role for the public to play. Public vigilance, public awareness can make a difference and do make a difference. That is what we're emphasizing in this latest NTAS bulletin. It has a duration of five months. It will expire in mid-November, just before the holiday season. And as you pointed out, this is the second one of these that I issued. The first one was in December as part of a new and revised NTAS system that we brought about in December. You said in this particular advisory that you know of no information or intelligence that is both credible and specific. But at the same time, you say that attacks by homegrown violent extremists could occur with little or no notice. So does that suggest then, if it's not both credible and specific, that you do have intelligence, but you can't rule it out, but it's not reliable? 
What exactly does that say? Not exactly, but you've touched on the essence of the reason why I revised our system in December. The NTAS system is a replacement of the color bars that we used to have after 9-11. And the issue with the color bars is once you ratchet them up, it is difficult to ratchet them down to the point where it was pretty much becoming irrelevant. In 2011, we went to the NTAS system, which are alerts and eminent alerts. Those were based upon a specific credible threat to the homeland. In this current environment, which includes the prospect of homegrown violent extremists who could strike at any moment, you're not necessarily going to have specific, credible, advanced warning of an attack. But we live in a general environment where the public has to be vigilant and aware. And so in December, we created this NTAS bulletin, which does not depend upon a specific credible threat, but advises the public of the general environment that we see and urges public vigilance and public awareness. So that's essentially the reason why we created this, because we're not in a situation where we're necessarily going to see a specific credible threat to the homeland, but the public should be aware of the environment, the public should be aware of what the government is doing about it, and what the public can do to help. When you look at where we are with this latest scenario in Orlando, a specific segment of the population was attacked. Another piece of your INTAS alert suggested that more attention might need to be placed on specific communities and on people's religious and ethnic and cultural connections. In reading the bulletin, I detected quite a bit of concern. Just how much is there? Here inside the Beltway in Washington, we refer to this as our CVE effort, Countering Violent Extremism. We've created, since I've been secretary, an Office for Community Partnerships with a specific mission of building bridges to communities for the purpose of countering violent extremism here in the homeland. Much of that effort, as you would expect, is dedicated to building bridges to American Muslim communities because those are the communities that the Islamic State is targeting in their own recruitment inspiration efforts. In this environment, it is crucial that we build bridges to American Muslim communities to encourage them, to encourage community leaders, help us help you in our collective homeland security efforts If you see something, say something. It is almost always the case, if not always the case. When someone self-radicalizes, there was somebody close to that person who saw the signs, who saw the gun purchase, who saw the accumulation of materials that could cause destruction, uh, who saw the trouble signs, some of the mental health issues perhaps, and a turn toward violence. And so we're out there in a lot of different communities across this country, and there are many different types of Muslim communities. Uh, The Muslim religion is a diverse community in and of itself. But we're out there encouraging communities, if you see something, say something, and please pass that word on to members of your community. And so building these bridges in my judgment, is essential to our homeland security efforts, and that's what we've been doing.
As the Homeland Security, Intelligence, and Law Enforcement communities continue to work to stop the influence of extremist groups on American citizens either directly or on social media or any other way over the Internet, it's clear events like the one in Orlando take a toll. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper told WTOP, an attack like this is what keeps us awake at night. He said this marks a time when our work in the intelligence community has never been more challenging or more important. And coming up in our next episode. Because of that recruitment effort that ISIL is making, we've got to be focused on the homeland. And that's my mission. That's law enforcement's mission. Um, You can kill an enemy and not necessarily defeat an enemy. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.